You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24-7 nonstop destination for A's baseball. Go to athletics.com slash A's Cast to download the app. Restrictions apply. From baseball's top personalities. The great Chris Russo joins us once again. To the game's top players. Joining us is the All-Star. Matt Chapman with us. You never know what stories you're going to hear. If you make your way down here, I I might be able to make some time and go out there and see the great Chris Townsend. This is A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend. It's time for another edition of A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend. We have four quality guests for you coming up here on A's Cast powered by TuneIn. Two-time Gold Glove winner, Matt Olson. We caught up with him recently in Oakland as we were doing good by the people of Oakland in the East Bay. Keith Lippman, who recently got the Tony Gwynn Award, which is a Lifetime Achievement Award put out by Baseball America, 50 years in the organization with the athletics, will also join us. Paul Himikides, who is the main researcher and producer at ESPN and for their morning show, Get Up, will be by. And then we all love Sarah Langs, one of the best follows on Twitter. She has so much information for you, and she writes for MLB.com. But first, Matt Olson. Always great to talk to the A's first baseman. Well, welcome back to A's Cast Live as it's A's Week of Giving as we're here, city team in Oakland, doing great things for the city of Oakland and people in need. And now joining us is your first baseman, two-time Gold Glove winner, Matt Olson. Matt, great to have you on the program once again, and what a special day we're having here. Yeah, it's great um, to be able to come out and you know give back a little bit to the community, and obviously these fans do a lot for us and, and show up, so uh, we want to do what we can in the community for sure. Yeah, I'm looking at the number. This helps over 500,000 people during the year, and being a part of that, I think, for all of us, it, it means so much, especially at this time of the year, the holiday season. Yeah, especially this time of year, like you said, um, just to know that we came here and helped out, you know, painted some walls. Uh, you know, it's, it's little things that you don't really think of that uh, can go a long way. So to be able to come out, make some sandwiches, paint some walls, you know, clean a place up and make it a nicer place for everybody is, uh, is really big. You know, last time we were talking to you, you just won your second gold glove. You just won it. Now that we've had some time in between that, how does it feel to know not only have you done it once, you've done it twice. Not a lot of guys have ever done that in the history of the game. Yeah, obviously honored, uh, especially to do it alongside Chappie. Uh, you know, it's really cool to for both of our first two full seasons to, to bring home that kind of hardware. And uh, I think we take a lot of pride in the defense. And, uh, you know, hopefully we got more to come. You know, when I think about the offseason and here we are in December, when do you start getting ready? When do you start taking the hacks and start really starting to think about spring training? Yeah, so I'll start swinging here uh, next week, actually. Um, been working out for a while now, uh, you know, just getting ready for the season. Not doing too much at home yeah. other than, you know, maybe golfing here and there. So get out, do a little workout, and, uh, you know, have the rest of the day. But going to start picking up the baseball stuff here pretty soon and uh, getting ready for spring. Has that been a routine for you, or you've changed the routine over the years to when you get ready, when you get started? H- have you switched that up over time? Yeah, you kind of got to play with it. Um, figure out what works best for you. Uh, you know, honestly, 
it's going to change in the future, and it's changed in the, you know, right now from where it was in the past. Um, I feel like I'm in a good spot where I, I feel like, you know, I pretty much right away take two, maybe three weeks off from lifting and, and get back to it. Um, you know, I just don't like to sit around for too long and, and you know, kind of let, let the body just uh, relax for two weeks. But after that, I'm like, man, I'm doing nothing around here. I got to get back out and do something. But uh, the baseball part is, is kind of where you feel out. And for me, that first, second week of December is where I feel like, you know, I'm, I'm able to get enough work in, but not get too tired and, you know, show up to spring with, you know, something sore or whatever it may be. So well, I think I got it down for now. I think we talked about this last time we had you on about just how crazy it is, how fast this offseason's going. Thanksgiving's already passed. For God's sakes, I got my Christmas tree. Christmas, I mean, <laughs> I mean, it's going to be here before you know it. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, right right when the new year, new year hits, that's pretty much when it's time. And, um, you know, you get, get the holidays done, get to see the family and everything and, you know, a bunch of friends. But uh, once, once New Year's hits, it's, it's kind of go time. And, you know, you got to get ready, get out there, you take ground balls, throw, hit, do all the stuff that, you know, you typically do in a spring training day, but kind of on your own and get ready for it. How excited are you for 2020? Very. Um, obviously, the last two years we have fallen up short in, in the wild card and, yeah, I think it's definitely a little driving factor for us. Uh, had great regular seasons the past two years with 97 wins. And, uh, you know, we, we got a lot of young talent coming up that we saw with Lazardo and Puck. And, you know, we're going to have Mania back the whole year. And uh, a lot of the same position guys, it's, you know, we, we got a great group. And I think everybody's excited about it. And I think about the division because, you know, the Angels are going to spend money. They got Joe Madden in there now. Rangers are opening up a new ballpark. They're going to be spending money. There's still this dark cloud of what's going on with the Houston Astros. I won't talk to you about that, but obviously we're all really looking to see what's going to happen. I mean, really right now the most interesting division in the offseason is our division, the AL West. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think for the past couple of years we've, we've been one of the more competitive divisions in the league, if not the most competitive. So, uh, you know, I don't see that changing anytime soon, obviously hear stuff about the Angels going out trying to get some pitching, maybe Garrett Cole or whatever it may be. Uh, you said at the Rangers opening that new park, they're going to want a, a good team out there. And, uh, you know, obviously the Astros have done what they've done for a while now. And, and uh, you know, we, we got a good young team and, and something that, you know, we've been building on the last couple of years. So it'll be a fun division to watch. Uh, obviously our goal is to go out there and win it. And I, I really think we can. You know, we're baseball guys. We have this baseball show, and we're covering this every single day and every single move by all the different teams. How much are you watching the ticker, watching MLB Network, and really following what's going on this offseason? Uh, you know, I don't, I don't too much. Uh, if, if I see something pop up on, on Twitter, I'll, I'll tune in. Um, you know, obviously any big deals or anything that's happening with us, I'll, I'll pay attention to. But uh, there's a lot of times in the spring where I, I see a, yeah, a highlight of somebody in a different uniform, I'm like, Oh, man, I didn't know he was there. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I see what I can, but, um, you know, I, I like to stay focused on, on what we got going on and, uh, you know, handle our business. Really cool for you guys to show up and be a part of this and, and, you know, what they're doing here, city team in Oakland. You know, we're talking about helping over 500,000 people, especially this time of the year when people really need it in, 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 at Christmas time and the holiday season. So thank you for stopping by, and we always appreciate having you on, here on A's Cast Live. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. It was a great day at Oakland City team, as everybody with the A's was there. Front office people, the president, Dave Cavill, everybody that works there, 
and everybody was doing the right thing, helping people in need right before the holidays, and Matt Olson and his girlfriend were also there. Keith Lippman is a legend in Major League Baseball, former director of player development and now the special advisor to the front office, recently received the Tony Gwynn Award, which is a Lifetime Achievement Award presented annually by Baseball America for the greatest contributions to the game. He is a hell of a man, a great baseball man. Here's Keith Lippman. Keith, Chris Townsend with the Oakland Athletics, an absolute honor to have you on the program. We truly appreciate it. Hey, Chris, how's it going? Uh, life is good as we're about to uh, head to the winter meetings in San Diego, and hopefully we're going to have some wheeling and dealing down there in Southern California. Well, I know David and Billy are uh, much engaged with uh, looking for things they typically do this time of year, so it's always interesting to see what direction we end up going. Congratulations on the Tony Gwynn Award. What a special award given out by Baseball America for the contributions that you've had to this great game in the and the Oakland Athletics. What was it like for you to receive this award? Well, it was a pretty much a humbling, kind of a shocking phone call I got from Baseball America. I, I obviously didn't expect to receive anything like that. But in re- retrospect, it was really cool that uh, I've heard so much from people that have read the article and kind of know about it a little bit that reconnected me to a lot of people from my past that you know I hadn't talked to in a long time and uh, kind of brought the, the years back together. A lot of people that, uh, you know, from when I started as a player or as a manager and, you know, through the time as a farm director. So it's, after the fact, it's been even more enjoyable because I have been able to connect to a lot of people that are, you know, part of this journey, part of a, a, a really fun career. It uh, has been very interesting. Yeah, I mean, you think of a baseball life. You know, the NFL Network does a great job with a, with a show they call The Football Life. I wish baseball would do that because you would be perfect. I mean, you think of everything that you've done in our great game, and now that you're stepping down as the farm director and you're still going to be with the franchise as a special advisor, have you gotten any time this winter to sit back and just go, wow, I've been lucky to be in this great game this long? Yeah, you know, I, I started to, you know, after this was kind of gone on a, over a week or so, I, I just started to reflect a little bit, and it turns out it's just about the people. Uh, I mean, I love the game. It's nothing like it. Uh, to be able to see a baseball game every single day of the year, uh, most of the, every year, I mean, it's a, it's a lot of baseball. You see something new every day, something unexpected. Um, just the surprise part of it, uh, the fundamental part of it, the uh, Seeing really good players throughout 50 years is a really incredible experience. And then being able to be around uh, old-time baseball guys, it kind of taught me the ropes. Uh, I've just had a life filled with uh, interesting characters and uh, a whole lot of fun opportunities. And I'm really grateful that I've, I've been able to experience all this. And you've been around so many great players with the A's, and you've been a part of their career. And a lot of these guys – reference you when they talk about their career. How much fun is it when you look back at just some of the great names that have gone through this organization? Well, there's, there are so many. Uh, you know, just Jose Canseco, for instance. He, he was, you know, I was a rookie manager in Idaho Falls just to see where he went on his rise so quickly, or McGuire, uh, Giambi, Tejada. I mean, there are just so many that have, have come through. They're also different. They're really talented in their own way, own personality, and uh, 
it's just learning to deal with all the different guys, trying to connect with them in a way that uh, they're able to get the most out of themselves with, uh, you know, a little push here and there from us, our staff. Uh, you know, it's just a very delicate business of, of trying to deal in a very difficult game to play. Uh, that's why I really respect the guys that are so good in the, in the business that are able to have long careers. Uh, it's just really hard to play this game, and it's uh, very impressive when, when you are around people that are able to do it. Yeah, it's so funny in, in modern-day baseball where we are with all these analytics where we have all these numbers, and, and people, you know, it's like they do forget, this is really a hard game to play. I don't care what kind of numbers you have. We're still dealing with human beings, and it's not easy to throw this ball, and it's not easy to hit this ball. Uh, there's no doubt. Uh, sometimes you, you just try to figure out a way to help a guy get up after he fails because a lot of these guys have been the best in everything they've done their whole life. And all of a sudden they get into the minor leagues and they, they fail. Uh, Chapman didn't have a great start in the minor leagues. And uh, he learned to be very resilient. And, uh, you know, look what he's done as, as a major league player. Um, each guy has their own system about how they deal with failure. And uh, they, they mental toughness. I look at guys like Simeon, and I am so respectful of how hard he's worked and what a great job he's done with uh, turn it into, you know, an MVP candidate. Uh, guys like that, it's just fun to watch them improve because Semyon wasn't who he was a few years ago, and uh, he, he's just become a fabulous asset to our organization and uh, great to watch guys like that that um, really improve and become great players. Have you ever seen anybody in this game make that kind of improvement from where he was leading the league in airs, and it could have been way more airs, if first basemans didn't help him out to where he is today. Have you ever seen that kind of growth before? Not at the major league level. I, I can't say that I've seen anybody that has really taken off like that and then had to suffer a lot of adversity. I mean, the press, uh, a lot of naysayers, a lot of people booing him at different times. Uh, he really stayed focused, uh, worked really hard. You know, I, I watch how he plays. Uh, I have a, a bunch of tapes I show uh, the players about how to play the game correctly. Uh, I show a couple of pop-ups where he had day game, and, you know, in the Coliseum, it's really hard to determine, you know, if an infielder is going to catch the ball in the sun. So many factors, the wind. And he seems to be one guy that works very hard to, to run every ball out. So there's a couple where uh, he just runs it out, second baseman just can't see it, and the next thing you know, he's either on second or third base. Uh, those are the kind of things that inspire me to show other players that it's effort, it's uh, dedication and focus, and uh, he, he exhibits all those attributes. You know, when I think about this business and dealing with human beings, I think a lot of people forget about that, that communication is really one of the number one skills for, for people that are, are trying to help these young men get to the big leagues. And then, of course, once they get to the big leagues, we know how good Bob Melvin is communicating with them. Talk about how communication is really the ultimate tool for someone like yourself dealing with the players. Well, it, it all starts with them having an understanding that it's their career, that we're there to assist them. You know, we, we right from the very beginning, that's our number one goal is to understand that that's where we're coming from. Then we try to establish some very simple goals that they can accomplish. And then as things go on, uh, it's that back and forth of them being good learners, you know, be willing to take some risks. 
and then you know offer suggestions uh it's hard to force guys to to do certain things uh there are situations where we've got somebody that's a really good young pitcher that refuses to throw his change up uh and you know that he's going to need his third or fourth catch then you know we're a little more heavy-handed with trying to get them to understand that they're not going to be able to survive in the big leagues without that pitch so then we start to have to you know twist their arm a little bit and say listen you're not going to be able to do this at that level so then we institute a plan that they buy into and then you know things go pretty smoothly but they have to understand you know what our job is and we have to understand how hard it is for them to make changes Uh, it's really difficult at the big league level uh, where you're constantly scrutinized and uh, there's always another guy that uh, is ready to take the job so a lot of the work has to be done at the minor league level and uh, you know the great coaches in the big leagues uh, do the finishing part of it. When you have the title special advisor, so what are we going to be doing now as a special advisor? Well, you know, helping Ed Sprague make the transition as a farm director. He's already really good at what he does. Uh, I'll just offer advice to him uh, as far as, you know, in the system. uh, I'll help, you know, in various areas of perspective, just trying to be involved. Uh, I've some interest in uh, staff development. That's something that we've done all through my career as a farm director. Uh, you know, trying to improve their ability to be better leaders, better coaches, uh, better communicators. So that's kind of my specialty that I, I like to deal with. So I think I'll do a lot of that. And then uh, wherever Billy David would like to have me, I'm uh, more than happy to, to help out. But I'm uh, very fortunate that they've allowed me to do this, uh, you know, at this stage of my career. You know, one thing that I was always so impressed that you implemented in the minor leagues was that people need time off. It's tough when you work every single day and you're riding these buses and it's not the best travel and you're not you're not on the charter like the big league club and you want to make sure that coaches down in the minor league system got some time off during the season. When did you first realize that, you know what, I, I got to help recharge these guys' batteries because you're seeing them getting worn down? You know, I actually lived that, having been a manager for nine or ten years and then, you know, never getting to go home. And then toward the career, I in my career as a manager, you know, I had twins, uh, life changed with kids, and then all of a sudden you realize that, you know, you, can, you have a life along with baseball. Baseball can consume you. Uh, there's so much involved with uh, guys wanting to be good at what they do, and it, it has the ability to suck you into being there 24-7 because it's, you know, there's so much to do. Uh, but I, I recognized that a long time ago that uh, just having the ability to step away, to go home for a graduation, uh, to go home just to be with your family for a week, uh, we, we found ways to make that happen for the guys. And, and they come back, and uh, they're very appreciative. I think they really enjoy their time away. And we have really good people that can supplant them while they're gone. You know, we'll send an instructor in or one of our roving guys, and uh, they don't miss a beat because, you know, we're well-connected within our system. And, uh, you know, the only trouble is if somebody goes in and they lose four or five in a row, then, you know, it doesn't look good. But uh, I think they still appreciate the time off. Yeah, no doubt about it. And now you're going to have a little extra time off now. So what are you going to be doing with this extra time? Well, at the moment, I'm back in Boston uh, with my grandkids here. Uh, I have an opportunity that I haven't had a whole lot of chance to do recently, and that's uh, spend more time with family. So uh, that's 
more my style, but I, you know, I'll go uh, to spring training. I'll, I'll be part of uh, major league camp, do everything that I normally do. Uh, it's just that Ed will have all the 24 seven duties, uh, the 1130, 12 o'clock phone calls where the big league club went into extra innings and uh, they need two more pitchers for tomorrow. And uh, all the logistics that go on with things that happen at that stage, it's a pretty hectic world sometimes uh, when you're moving players. Well, I got to tell you, the Tony Gwynn Award is something that's very, very special, well-earned. You're one of the great guys ever in the history of this game. Your career is unbelievable. We've always appreciated you coming on the show. Congratulations. Enjoy the holidays. Have a great Christmas, and enjoy those grandkids. Hey, thank you. Appreciate being on the show. I talk about it all the time. There should be this wing at the Baseball Hall of Fame for people who have done great things and have changed the game of baseball beyond just managers and executives. And Keith Lippman belongs in that group. Paul Himbikides, Himbo, from ESPN, their top producer and researcher, loves coming on A's Cast Live, and we're breaking down some A's, breaking down some winter meetings. Here's Himbo. Himbo, welcome back to A's Cast Live. How are you? What's up, buddy? How is everything? Uh, doing well. How's Get Up in the Morning Show there on ESPN? Well, we have, I'll tell you what. It's only good if you ask the football fans because that's all we talk about. As a baseball guy, I'm chomping at the bit to do stuff like this, but you guys, you guys can sort of scratch that itch for me, so I really appreciate that. That's why we are always here for you, and I was telling the audience <laughs> you do all this research, and we love to take your research and apply it to our show, and we have these questions that you have posed to us, which I absolutely love. And since Garrett Cole is such a big name and, you know, we would love to get him out of the division. We know the Angels are going after him hard. He's talked with the Yankees. He's talked with the Angels. Which team really needs Garrett Cole the most? I would argue that none of those teams. I would argue the answer to your question is actually the Dodgers. Okay, under Andrew Friedman, this team, correct me if I'm wrong, they have, he has failed to build a lights-out bullpen, right, like the Yankees have, for example. And if you're going to build your pitching staff from the inside out, you need great starting pitching. That team does not have a great starting pitcher right now. They just don't. Kershaw's over the hump. Walker Bueller is not quite there yet. And if you look at how this pitching rotation has performed in the playoffs over the last four or five years, it's, it's been an uneven performance. They don't get the out of, the, out of the starters. In fact, over the last five years, only one time as a starting pitcher of theirs exceeded 21 outs in a playoff game. Only one time. We know Garrett has this sort of length and longevity. We also know that Clayton Kershaw is the only guy that could start in the rotation next year, making more than $4 million. So theoretically, they have the money. And this has been a team, obviously, in the past, averse to the trading away prospects because that's just sort of how they build, even though they have they operate in a big market. But if there's a pitcher to make, make an exception for, in my judgment – it's Garrett Cole. We know, like, theoretically, we've heard that he wants to go back to the West Coast. I think ultimately it's going to be just the team that pays him the most money. But I think the Dodgers, actually not the Angels or the Yankees or anybody else, need him the most. Yeah, I kind of like what you're talking about there because if you start thinking about the Dodgers, the last thing you want, because you already got Mike Trout with there with the Angels, you bring Garrett Cole there, you start stealing some of their thunder because at some point fans are going to look around going, Hey, what are we watching? The Buffalo Bills, the Atlanta Braves, the team that keeps getting to the championship or keeps getting to the postseason and can't win. 
I mean, ultimately, what's the objective, right? It's to win the World Series. They haven't done it in 30 years. It's like one of these NFL teams that, that wins the salary cap Super Bowl every year but never wins the Super Bowl. Like, ultimately, like, sometimes you just got to break your, like, break your principles. And, th- like, sometimes I feel like he operates like he's still running the Tampa Bay Rays. He's not. He, he operates sometimes like, he, like he's running your club. That, that's just not the, the, the reality in which they operate. Like, ultimately, Garrett Cole can make like – even, even, like, in, in the grand scheme of a season, he probably only increases your chances to win a World Series by 2 or 3%. But that 2 or 3% last year was the difference for the Dodgers. And ultimately, the team that had better starting pitching was the one that won the World Series last year. I think this thing might be shifting back. And he's – look, let's call it what it is. He's the best pitcher on the planet right now in his prime. He's going to get paid. I think the Dodgers should be the team that does it. Zach Wheeler signs five years, $118 million with the Philadelphia Phillies, leaving New York, staying in division, kind of what we saw like last year. One of the big fishes was Harper, and Harper moves over from the Nats over to the Phillies. Why do you think this is a good deal for Zach Wheeler? Well, it's a good deal for Zach Wheeler because he can sign a piece of paper that can guarantee that none of his descendants have to work another day in their lives. But as a Phillies fan, I'm going to give you a few reasons why I think the front office identified this, this player as a nine-figure pitcher, even though his superficial stats would indicate otherwise. But obviously, we don't really fit in that world anymore. For starters, this is a guy that ranks in the 80th percentile or better last year in, in fastball velocity and exit velocity and in hard hit rate. So there's obviously a little bit of a disconnect between his expected performance and his actual performance, I have a few reasons as to why that's the case. First of all, he ranked 49th among 61 qualified uh, pitchers last year in our strikes looking right now. What it essentially says is that his catchers did a below average job at framing his pitches. We know the Phillies have VT Real Muto. He's one of the best pitch framers in the sport. Secondly, he has uh, last year he had the fifth worst out rate on batted balls, meaning his defense did about as bad a job behind him as any pitcher in the league. So that's not even – like if we're not even going to start touching his performance and just talking about things that he can't control, the Mets weren't doing him any favors. And lastly, we've seen this happen with Garrett Cole, with Justin Berlander, with other pitchers. This guy's four-seam fastball is so much more effective than his two-seamer and his sinker. He threw it about evenly last season. It would not at all surprise me if the Phillies identified a, sort of a different way for him to go about his business and pitch. Because this is a guy that sits 97 – he can operate up in the zone. The idea of him throwing these two seam, these two seamers and these sinkers in the lower third of the zone seems like a waste to me. My guess is that the Phillies identified his pitch mix as something that they can sort of modify and take him from being like a number three type to a sort of a top end, top end of the rotation guy. Like I, I actually don't think uh, like this is me speaking as a Phillies fan and someone who knows the numbers, right? I actually don't think the biggest risk here is performance. In my opinion, the biggest risk here is the medicals. This is one of the largest contracts ever given to a former Tommy, Tommy John patient. He also has some shoulder issues. So, obviously, without knowing the medicals, there's really no way for me to speculate there. But I'd be more worried about his health than his performance moving forward. Another big free agent. We know he's talked to the Dodgers. He's talked to the Rangers. And the Nationals are saying that they may want an answer by the winter meetings or just after. Anthony Rendon, where do you think he's going to go and what do you think is fair for him? I think six six for two hundred is fair for Anthony Rendon. That puts him at over thirty three million dollars a year. I've I've heard plenty of speculation from enough people that whose opinion I value that he's not looking for an eight or ten year contract. And if he's not going to look for an eight or ten year contract, Scott Boris is, is is for sure going to search for a deal in which his average annual value has a chance to break a record. I don't know if he can quite get there. I'm not sure he's quite that caliber of player. Because we're operating in a league right now in which there's so many outstanding third base, and you guys get to watch one every day. And frankly, I think Matt Chapman's a better all-around player than Anthony Rendon is, and obviously he's younger. But guys this, this good generally don't hit 
the free agent market. I just don't know how you could have watched the, the playoffs last season and not just be overwhelmed with how good he was as a hitter. He doesn't really have any weaknesses. The base running is average. The defense is slightly above. But obviously the bat is a premium. Is, is a premium. So I, my guess is that he's going to end up with the Rangers just because that, that, that's the team that's going to, from what I understand, looking to spend money. It's obviously his hometown team. And, you know, moving into a new stadium, that to me seems like a really big splash. But I wouldn't sleep on the White Sox either because that's a club that was – they were outbid for Zach Wheeler. Last year they were outbid for Manny Machado. They're desperate to spend their money if someone is willing to go and play there. I think there's a decent chance that they overpay for him and, and, and land the player as a result. And one guy who's going to get paid. I don't know where it's going to be. And what do you do with him if you're not planning on signing him if you're the Boston Red Sox? Just the, the curious tales of Mookie Betts. He's such a great player. How would you let a guy like that go? But, you know, rumors are he could be on the move. This is the most curious case of the offseason, okay? If I had to bet an amount of money that mattered to me, I would guess that Mookie Betts is on the Red Sox opening day because they have a reasonable chance to compete and because it's very difficult to sell to your fan base that we're going to trade an eight-war player on, on average over the last five years for less than 100 cents on the dollar because – we know he has, you know, he's playing with a lame duck contract. If, if, if he and his representation aren't willing to talk until next year, the Red Sox are then operating from a disadvantage. But I'm of the opinion that you can trade Mookie Betts for every bit as much uh, as you could get for him now in July if your team is not competing. But I want to throw one sort of wrench at you because you guys obviously follow this every day from a small market perspective. Mookie Betts, to me, seems like a perfect opportunity for a team like yours or other small market teams around the league there are never opportunities to land top-notch sort of like elite premium players like this because they never become available. But for one year, a team like yours might be able to pay a guy like this and without having to forfeit absurd prospect capital because of the contract and the circumstances, part of me wonders if it opens up a whole new uh, sort of uh, swath of teams that wouldn't otherwise be in for a player of this caliber. What say you? Mookie Betts and white cleats with the green and gold. I love it. <laughs> but look, but just, just hear me out, right? It, it makes, to me, considerable sense because there's no way, like there's obviously no way you'll ever have the opportunity to, to, to sign a player like that. And to pay a player like that $20, $25 million for one year, I'm of the opinion there's no such thing as a bad one-year contract. You, you're telling me, like with, with Mookie Betts playing center field or right field for that club next year, you can't tell me they don't have a real chance to compete with the Astros to win that division. And ultimately, like that would be so overwhelmingly worth it, even if you had to give up three or four of your top ten prospects to make it happen. Oh, my God. You put him in a lineup that's got Olsen and Chapman and Simeon and, and Loriano and Canna and Piscotti. I mean, you just start looking around. You go that, and put Mookie Betts in there with this young starting staff, with the bullpen coming back. You know, him. I've been talking to a lot of national guys, and they're finally on board saying, hey, Oakland's not a fluke anymore. You don't win 97 games two straight years. Uh, you know, the A's are, are a true World Series contender for next year with everything that they have because they don't really have a lot of moves to make this offseason but you're saying now bring in Mookie Betts my god this team this team would be stacked they'd be the best defensive team in Major League Baseball so you wouldn't quite have to overshoot from a pitching standpoint and over the last two years the A's have figured out their pitching as they've gone so like that look it's, it's, it's sort of a shot in the dark but if you have the opportunity to land a player of this caliber you do it. And if look, and if the Red Sox are dying to get rid of him, which it wouldn't at all surprise me if they are, just sort of from what I hear regarding the machinations of the, of the, of the front office right now, I'm not sure it's going to happen this week. This might be something that sort of drags out. My only concern for a team like yours or a small market club looking 
to trade for Mookie Betts would be if the Red Sox require you to tack on the contract of David Price or Nathan Eovaldi or both. Because obviously a club like yours can't absorb that. But if we're talking about a player for prospect trade, a club like yours could absorb that. And to me, it'd be one of the most fascinating stories of the season if, it, if you guys could pull it off. Do you know how much my fans are just going nuts right now over this? <laughs> Am I crazy, though? Like, this, is, this is not an outlandish or unreasonable proposition. Like, this isn't Chris Bryant or Francisco Lindor, players with multiple years left on their contracts. We're talking about one of the five best players on earth who's not owed an exorbitant amount of money, and it's only for one year. You know, based on the track record, he's going to make your team six or seven wins better by himself at minimum. Like, how often, how often can you, could you say that's even a possibility? Like, so, so overwhelmingly rarely would you say that's even a possibility. Like, in, in my, like sometimes you just got to – sometimes and you're always better. You're always better with the player. We know prospects will break your heart. And if ultimately it results in division championship and most probably the most challenging division to win in all of baseball, oh my goodness, it'd be worth it 10 times over, even if those guys you traded turn out to be studs. Well, I mean, that's the thing about Billy Bean. He's not afraid. And I've talked with Billy for years about, you know, when it's time to go for it, the A's go for it. So, yeah, it, it wouldn't be as crazy. Some people go, that's crazy. No, it wouldn't be that crazy. What's it's not cra- crazy. It's what, not crazy. What's crazy is that the Boston Red Sox have that big TV deal. Heck, they got a big radio deal. They charge more than anybody else for their tickets. You're a Red Sox fan. You're going, hey, we make a lot of money. Why aren't we going to pay this guy? Yeah, if I was a Red Sox fan, I would be – because ultimately this is – this. Then, if you will, falls at the feet of Dave Dombrowski. He has been an irresponsible spender everywhere he's been. He's won everywhere he's been. But the wake that he has left has been a very challenging one to deal with. So that what the Red Sox have to do now is, is bring on a general manager who's going to have to be shrewd financially. And look, if I was – like, it's not my money. Like, I don't care if you exceed the luxury tax threshold. They did that two years ago, and they won the freaking World Series as, as a direct result of it. They had some of the highest paid players in all of baseball. It doesn't make any sense to me to, to trade the player. But if, if ownership is saying we are not going to devote $400 million to anybody – period, then what can you do? You just try to get whatever you can for the player. And even if you have to forfeit it and, and, and say, you know what, we're going to have to accept 60 or 70 cents on the dollar, all of a sudden there's all sorts of teams that are you know up for it. And in my opinion, yours should be one of them. Josh Hader, I say that to you. Do you think he's on the move from the Brewers? Yes, uh, and I think he should be, frankly. He, he is a wipeout reliever. He owns the highest strikeout rate in the history of Major League Baseball, but he is a novelty for a team like the Brewers because that's a club that operates in the same space that you do. And, and ultimately with four years of control, he's only going to make four and a half million dollars next year or, or, or approximately. So this is a really good time to trade him because you have, because he has so much value. I mean, if you just want to like sort of contextualize just how good he's been the last two seasons. Okay. Uh, win probability ad is one of my favorite stats because it loops in leverage and it loops in context and, and using that standard of measure, he's been about as valuable in the last two years as Ronald Acuna Jr., okay? Now, no, no one would possibly argue that Acuna is more valuable than Josh Hader, but that's, that, that's, like, he is that kind of good. He's that kind of important, and, he, and, and especially because of the way in which they use him. And he, he's young, he's got a live arm, but you could also argue, you know, if you're, if you're a, you know, a, a fan or backer of the Brewers or someone in that front office, that we've really abused this guy over the last two years, and potentially his best, best days are behind him. Relievers are a fickle uh, friend, as you know. 
very fickle. Just ask, ask Mets fans and what they experienced with Edwin Diaz this year, which <laughs> was a colossal failure, right? If you have an opportunity to trade Josh Hader with four years left on his deal and replenish your farm system or obtain present-day value in return, this is a club that just lost Mike Moustakis, Yasmani Grandal. In order for them to be able to you know, operate and compete with, with, with the financial resources they have, they're going to have to be willing sometimes to part with you know, a player like this. And like I said, he's, he's more of a novelty because he's not going to give you 200 innings. He's going to give you 60 or 70 innings, and they're going to be dominant. But you can find dominant uh, – you're much more likely to find a dominant reliever somewhere than you are to, you know, to find either, either front-end guys or position players that can play for you every day. And I think that's what you can get in return for him from a, a, a legit contender. I saw a list of the top guys that were non-tendered, and number one was our guy, Blake Trinan. I mean, he went from one of the best years you have ever seen from a reliever to just absolutely not very good and at times was really, really bad. So talk about Blake Trinan, what you see there, and who else you like for the non-tendered players. Well, I mean, trying and stuff is absurd, but like, like, like I just mentioned with these, with, with these relief pitchers, like there's just so little, there's just so little support year to year for them to be able to duplicate their performance. The, the innings amount, like the, the sample size is so much smaller. It's a much more challenging thing to project out. As a Phillies fan, I, I was sort of surprised that they chose to, to, to non-tender uh, Cesar uh, Hernandez uh, because he is a, a real player and someone that's going to help a lot of clubs. But what I think is most curious about this whole dynamic, frankly, is that there are 54 guys non-tendered this year. It's the most since we began tracking this stuff. And the majority of those guys had four-plus years of, of service time. So like, not only are players not getting paid when they get to free agency, but teams are seemingly suppressing their, their, their um, ability to make money by non-tendering some of these, like, in, in some cases, high-quality players before they even have the chance to. So it's almost turning into like a pseudo-free agency for some decent players. C.J. Cronin hit 30 bombs last year. He's on the street. So, like, it doesn't make sense. Like, it, I shouldn't say that. It makes sense to me why clubs are doing it, but it's just yet another way how player, uh, player payment is being suppressed. And, look, I, I think when we go back, when we go to the next collective bargaining agreement, this thing's going to be on the chopping block because there's all sorts of ways that these smart front offices are finding to suppress the money that their, their players are earning. The bottom line is whenever you have that itch and you want to talk baseball, this is the place you come to. <laughs> uh, you're a good man. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll enjoy breaking down Tom Brady's performance on my own, and, uh, and I'll come to find you guys when I need to seek some refuge. Oh, I know you guys are going to be talking LeBron James. You're going to be talking all about the Lakers and about basketball. Tim and Tebow. Oh, yeah, Tim. Go, yeah. That's right. Hey, when you want to talk, anytime you have the open invitation, anytime you want to bring the heat, you let us know. And by the way, we'll be in San Diego for the winter meetings. Oh, good deal, man. I look forward to talking to you then. From one great researcher to another, Sarah Langs. I'm telling you, on Twitter, there is nobody better. She does a great job for MLB.com. We love her having her on. We love having her on the show. Remember, at S Langs on sports. Here is Sarah Langs from MLB.com. Sarah, how are you? It's been a while since we've had you on the program. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm great, except for the fact that we don't have baseball games going on, which is never great for me. But we How do, are you? We do have the winter meetings coming up in San Diego, and hopefully we're going to have some uh, some news for you to write about on MLB.com. Yes, hopefully, hopefully. There's been, you know, some stuff going on. It's been really exciting that we've already had some moves happening. You know, we had Yasmani Grandal. We had a trade last night. We've We've had some movement already, free agent front and other sort of transactions, even before the winter meetings, which is, you know, a lot of fun, especially compared to 
what we saw the last two years. What did you think of the Zach Wheeler deal? Did you like it? Yeah, you know, it's so interesting because it's been really fascinating to see his stock rise over, especially these last two years, you know, being in New York, seeing him pitch a whole lot and, you know, having grown up a Mets fan and remembering when he was that big prospect that the Mets got in the deal from the Giants for Carlos Beltran and, you know, kind of tracking all of that. And the thing with him is that you are paying a lot for potential. You know, and I actually I was looking into this and I wrote an article. It's on uh, up on MLB.com right now about. So he has 749 and a third career innings at the major league level. That's the fewest innings for any pitcher who got a free agent contract of 100 million dollars. We're excluding Masahiro Tanaka because he had zero major league innings when he signed with the Yankees, but he had a lot of innings. Um, pitched in Japan as a professional. So it's a very different scenario. But, you know, it just shows that the Phillies don't know exactly what there is to get. But the last two years, he's been a really good pitcher, a solid, you know, probably number two type three guy. He can be an ace at times, and he certainly makes them a lot better. It's a lot of money, and I'm with you. It's a gamble, and there's upside there, but, you start looking at the money that Strasburg and Cole potentially should get, so maybe it'll end up being a great deal for the fight and fills. Uh, back in your neck of the woods, New York, what's it like knowing that? Because I, I know a lot of Mets fans have not been happy with the Wilpons for years. I have no idea who Steve Cohen is. I just know he's a really rich guy, and he's going to buy into the franchise, and the Wilpons will still have authority for it looks like another five years, but – what has it been like for Mets fans in New York knowing that the Wilpons at some point will be out? Yeah, you know, I, I know a lot of Mets fans. I follow a lot of Mets fans on Twitter. I work with a lot of Mets fans, and people definitely seem excited at the prospect of this kind of change. Um, you know, it's really hard to know exactly what goes on in those kinds of conversations where teams make a decision to be more frugal or choose to spend a lot of money or whatever else. So I'm always hesitant to put too much stock into those ongoing narratives just because we don't actually know. But we do know that the Mets have not exactly spent, you know, too much money in free agency or committed a lot of money in free agency over this last pretty long time. And that, you know, it sounds like there would be a lot more money available with Steve Cohen, he I read that he grew up a Mets fan in Great Neck, which is, you know, definitely the type of person you would want running the Mets. And uh, I read something from uh, Tim Britton of The Athletic that uh, Steve Cohen once spent, uh, I forget what the number is, but it's more money than the Mets have ever committed in any contract ever on some artwork called, like, The Pointing Man. So <laughs> it sounds like this is what the fans at least have been hoping for and Again, you never know exactly what goes on behind closed doors, but it seems like a positive thing for the Mets at least moving back towards, you know, competing a little bit more with the Yankees in free agency, which I think has been something that's been missing for a while where Mets fans look at it and are like, hey, we're in New York too. So hopefully it will be good for everybody. The five years is interesting. Um, I'm interested to see how that all plays out because I know that that was the initial report. I don't know anything, but I would be curious to see if that's what we ultimately find out only because it seems like a lot of commitment to then wait five years to be able to take control, you know? Yeah. It kind of sounds like the Wilpons just still want to have their name involved. And by within five years, you look at their age, then they'll be ready to get out. But yeah, if I'm the guy coming in and spending all that money, I got to think that, 
the people running the day-to-day operations from a standpoint of business and a standpoint of baseball ops have to be reporting to this cone guy instead of the Wilpons. Yeah. The Wilpons still want to have their name on it, but I got to think, you spend that much money, you're not waiting five years before you finally exactly. take charge, right? Exactly. I, that's why, That's why. you know, it, it's it's funny because it's these we don't get as much, you know, reporting on these kinds of things as transactions and players and trades and all of that. So it's just something where even when I read the initial report or the second report, I'm still sort of waiting for more because I know that nobody knows exactly everything that's going on. Um, and so, you know, we'll see. He already owns a stake. He just owns like 4% or something. So it would be increasing his stake. So I'm sure that that makes the – I would guess that that makes the actual sale easier since he's like already on the book somewhere. But I don't know enough about how all that works. But it's interesting. I, I would say that especially some of the Mets fans I know, that has been the biggest thing that people have been saying is that they do want to see the team sold. So at the very least, I'm glad for those people that they're going to at some point see what they want happening in that respect. Yeah, I laugh when I see the articles when people say, oh, the Yankees are all in. And I go, oh, really? Um, Who worked for the Yankees (laughs) and said that? Because uh, Jeff Passan, we know, is a great writer, but – I got a feeling that's coming from Scott Boris saying the Yankees are all in because you haven't heard anybody work with the Yankees saying they're all in. And what they're trying to do is drive the market, and they're trying to drive the market in Scott's backyard in Southern California with the Angels and Artie Moreno. So you get a writer out there saying that the Mets are all in, then you can turn to Artie and say, hey, Arnie, uh, Artie, you really want to bring him here? It's going to cost you a lot of money. Have you heard anybody inside the Yankees organization say they're all in? I, I see the same reports you do, so I, I don't believe that I've seen anything uh, along those lines yet. But it's interesting. You know, the thing that I keep comparing this to, and he's a, on a different level as a pitcher, but Patrick Corbin last year. When Patrick Corbin was pitching for the Diamondbacks last year and when free agency began, all we heard how he was how he was 100% going to the Yankees. He grew up in upstate New York. He has a huge Yankees fan growing up. He got married in New York. There is no way that he is going to do anything else other than sign with the Yankees. And what did he do? He was on the Nationals and he just won the World Series. So I'm that made me incredibly skeptical of the, hey, he wants to go home narratives. I know that they're very important for these guys. And it's your life. It's your lifestyle. It, quality of life. All of those things really matter. And that is certainly where the hometown ideas come in. But I'm, I, I can totally see him going to the Yankees, even though I haven't I, – I don't know about this all in – all of that, if we've actually had someone from the Yankees say it. But I I do think that people who are saying that he's done deal for the Angels, just, you know, give it a little bit of pause. I'm not saying he's not going to go there. I could very likely see that happening. But I I just keep thinking back to Patrick Corbin, the New York Yankee, and how that didn't happen. I got a sense, and I don't know if I'm right, but I got a sense that we're nearing a point to where the owners are are, are kind of done with it when we're talking about these big contracts. Because – you know, you, you always want to see records broken, but at some point, once you see Trout making whatever it is, 435 or 438, you see Machado get 300, you see Harper got like 330-something, there's a breaking point. And Boris is trying to keep – he just tries to keep it going and more and more. I got to – because like with Lerner, the owner of the Nats, is coming out saying, hey, 
I can't afford both Strasburg and Rendon. It's just it doesn't make sense. Do you think we're getting to a point where the money has gotten so big, so high that we're at a breaking point where the owners are like, enough's enough? You know, maybe it it feels like, to your point, that we have to get there at some point. I mean, I know inflation, you know, I know how all of those things work, but these numbers are so big. You know, I I was working on something yesterday and looking at the five biggest free agent deals over the last five seasons, and it's just so weird to start two of those numbers with a three, right, for Machado (laughs) and Harper. And that part is, like, not lost on me. You know, it doesn't really make sense. I mean, it makes sense. These are outstanding players who deserve to be paid proportionally to what they've done, and they've been really great. But it's so hard to fathom the numbers sometimes for me, even as a numbers person. I think that, you know, one thing I'm curious to see if it happens more is there's been all these rumors about Rendon and about how he might take a really high average annual value shorter-term contract, right? Um, I know Tom Verducci had mentioned it, and there have been others reporting on it as well, that he might go to a team like the Dodgers on like a six-year deal where he's going to make a lot of money per year as opposed to one of these 10-year, $250-plus million contracts. And I think that in certain ways it's tough because higher average annual value does hurt you much more in the luxury tax because – that's the average annual value is what counts against the tax. But the idea of committing for less time to a player seems like it's got to be more, you know, enticing to some of these teams. Because if you look at the long-term contracts, you look at those 10-year contracts, most of them don't, even five plus, seven plus, whatever we want to say, they're usually not great by the end, you know? So for me, it's almost more about the years than it is about the sums. So maybe they're going to get a little bit more money over a five-year span, but the team and the player will both be in better shape when that ends, you know? Yeah, and that's something like the Dodgers tried to do with Harper, but Harper won the 13 years. I've said this for years for teams like the A's. Overpay for two years, you understand what you're getting, and then after two years you break from the player and basically overpay to make sure you get players in their prime but players are still not – it doesn't seem like they're ready to make those kinds of deals yet. Yeah, and I mean, from the union perspective and from the player perspective, of course you want a 13-year deal or a 10-year deal. You want to know that you'll be able to provide for your family for that amount of time, and you don't know where you'll be on the other side of that deal, just like you don't know where you'll be on the other side of a five-year deal. So I understand it from that standpoint, and that's why I think that teams would have to definitely up the money proportionally in order to get a player to agree to that. And it it comes down to so much, you know, personality type, where they are in their life, you know, how old are their kids? Do they have kids? All these other things. But I do think that that could be something that at least teams might try to do in terms of how these free agent deals change over, you know, whatever this course of time is, you know, next couple of years. Do you think, and we'll end on this, do you think Mookie Betts will be on the Red Sox on opening day? I, you know, I know there was a report today. I don't remember who it was from, but I remember getting an alert that said that they might not trade him because, you know, they're not getting the deal they wanted. And, you know, that's important reporting. And, you know, all we know in terms of all this is from this reporting and it is great work that those national reporters do. But I looked at that and I was like, yeah, that makes complete sense to me. You know, I mean, we're talking about a world series champion an MVP, one of the best players in the American league. You know, I, I just, I think teams are 
have become very hesitant to trade prospects lately. And what ends up happening is that you get players like that not getting traded. You know, I mean, Mookie bets for Joe Adele straight up. Yeah, I get that. But that's never going to happen. And when you start trying to piece together a deal beyond that, you know, with someone who isn't the number one overall prospect in baseball like he is, it's just so hard. I mean, every time I see a trade, I am in awe of a front office because I'm like, I don't know how they made that work, but that makes sense to me. You know, it's like I I did a We did something on MLB.com for Black Friday, deals you might want to see. And it took me so long to come up with mine because it's so hard to really come up with something realistic, you know? And we're talking about Mookie Betts. So I would not be surprised if he is on the Red Sox on opening day. And, you know, I'm sure that that might be upsetting to Red Sox fans who think he might walk and would want to get something for him. But, you know, we see this happen with so many players. I mean, how many times did we hear – about Manny Ramirez being traded before he finally was, you know, all of these Vladimir Guerrero. I mean, he was almost a Met like 15 times, you know, when I was like 10 years old, like all of those. And the truth is that it's pretty hard to trade these guys. So I wouldn't be surprised if he's still a Red Sox. Yeah. And you can say the same thing with the Cubs as the Cubs are all, you know, they're, they're yep. manic to make all these trades. It's like, and it's, I mean, what are you going to, and, and, and how about, I, I forgot that this Chris Bryant thing is still going on about his service time and that they still have to go oh, in yeah. from a, and from an arbiter. I forgot that was still going on. Yeah, it was odd because, you know, that was in 2015. And when it, I think that it hadn't been seen by a judge until recently. I don't know exactly how all that works with filing and stuff, but it's certainly a weird thing to be going on right now when we know that the team is at least going to explore or think about the idea of potentially trading him, right? It's, it's a weird place to be in, you know, where you wonder whether he feels at odds with the team or not. I have no idea. Um, or whether it's so long ago that it's more just about, you know, making it right for future players, which is, of course, very admirable and something else, too. But it is a weird, like, subtext with it, right? Sarah, you are the best. We always wish you were going to be in San Diego for the winter meetings. I know. I wish I was going to be, too. But unfortunately, I won't get a chance to. But uh, I'll be following along. Every, I mean, it's a great week, right? It's a great week. I would obviously much rather be there, but it's a great week to be at home watch some ESPN baseball tonight, watch MLB network, listen to every radio show, you guys, everybody. I mean, I'm just going to be awake for like 24 hours straight for four straight days listening to stuff, which is better than sleeping. Well, if something big happens, we're going to be calling you. Good. I hope so. I would love to chat. I would love to chat. And if we don't talk to you, have a great Christmas, have a great new year's and uh, be well with the family. Awesome. Thank you so much. And to you as well. Thank you. Great to talk with you. This was a lot of fun to do. What a great list. We want to thank Matt Olson, Keith Lippman, Paul Himbikides, and Sarah Langs. Thank you for listening to A's Unfiltered. Don't forget, we're going to be at the winter meetings in San Diego Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. Thank you for listening to A's Unfiltered. Now back to A's Cast, powered by TuneIn. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.